Hello and welcome to the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. Rachel is a speaker, inspirational author, and an overcomer. As Rachel is walking through her own journey of grief, she's challenging others to persevere and overcome their own circumstances. Find out more at rachelflick.com. Here now is your host, Rachel Flick. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. I have a powerful story to share with you today with Michaela Munn and Linda Zanaco. Michaela Munn pled guilty in 2018 to neglect of a dependent resulting in bodily injury or death. After serving six years in an Indiana women's prison, Munn is now free and speaks publicly about the painful sequence of events that led to her newborn son Alexander Liam's death. She shares a message of hope and redemption for any woman who finds herself in desperate circumstances. In 2009, Linda Zanaco unexpectedly had her life turned upside down after watching a television news report about the tragic death of a young infant abandoned in a trash dumpster. The heartbreaking report made Zanaco resolve that she would do everything in her power to ensure no infant would ever die again without a name or a proper burial. As the founder of He Knows Your Name Ministries, Zanako now works with numerous mothers to make certain that every infant who dies under similar unfortunate circumstances is recognized as a precious and important life. Zanako is a popular speaker at conferences and retreats and has been interviewed on The Steve Harvey Show, Wish TV, Fox 59, The Indie Star, Life Today, In the Market with Janet Parshall, American Essence Magazine, and many others. Ladies, welcome to the Hopecast. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. It's really, yeah, it's such an honor. Absolutely. I can just tell even from your intro and your bio that this has been a really powerful, meaningful, painful experience for both of you. And I'm so honored to just get to hold space to hear that story and to tell it to the listeners and our friends on the Hopecast. So Michaela and Linda, would you tell us how this story brought you together? I went to prison uh, 2016 for the neglect of a dependent resulting in bodily injury or death. I ended up giving birth to my son in my dorm room by myself. I remember bits and pieces. It gets kind of fuzzy in and out. And when I went to prison, they were having the funeral, the burial, and I didn't know anything of it. At that time, my family kept that away from me because I was not mentally available for it. I was suffering from depression and anxiety and a bunch of other mixtures as well with the death of my son. It wasn't until COVID hit, uh, somebody emailed me and said, do you know Linda? You know who Linda Zanaco is? And I wasn't really sure at first who she was. And then they showed me the picture of my son's tombstone and it says, he knows your name. And they explained to me what she was and what she did. And I said, I wanted to talk to her. And at first my friend was like, are you serious? You really want to talk to her? And I said, yes, um, I accept responsibility for what I've done. And I knew that at that point, teaming up with Linda and seeing what she was all about and getting to know her and establishing a relationship with her, I wanted to help other mothers and fathers that are dealing with the same kind of issues and the same kind of problems that I was dealing with. So that way 
somebody else didn't have to go through what I went through. And Linda, how did you hear about this story and what pulled on your heart and brought you in? So I did hear it on the news being in central Indiana. Um, Elkhart, Indiana is just north of us a few hours. And so I heard it on the news and I then was someone like a prosecuting attorney got a hold of me and said that the, um, the child's dad was going to be working on the funeral once Michaela was sentenced. And so, you know, he said, would you help him? And I was like, absolutely. And so I got to know Desmond from the phone calls I had with him and the planning of the funeral. Uh, so I officiated the funeral for Alexander Liam and went up there and brought the headstone and butterflies. And I hired a singer to come sing lullaby goodnight and Jesus loves me graveside. And it, it was just a really, really beautiful and solemn hard day, but it was just beautiful to see community come around this family and the baby. These are people that were involved and are very aware of what had happened. And so I, I just knew that there was something really sacred happening that day. Um, and I, it didn't even dawn on me that I had all the documentation of this funeral on my phone. And I was aware that Michaela was not there, of course, but I didn't have even the hope or dream that someday I would show her the pictures on my phone and share with her what she could not share in herself. And so, you know, years passed and my, my ministry keeps me very, very busy and, you know, I randomly got an email from someone who said, you know, that he was aware that I officiated the funeral and he is, was in contact with Michaela in prison through email. And, you know, would I, you know, correspond with her? And, you know, I felt really mixed at the time. I couldn't even imagine how that was going to go and what she was feeling, but I launched into it after prayer and really felt like God was just going to open a door. and that's exactly what happened. You know, we had correspondence for a little over a year, I would say. And I think I, I counted Michaela sent me about 70 emails in the course of a year. And which I say, like, we really yeah. frequently wrote back and forth and shared life together. And I encouraged her with scripture and to memorize scripture. And I was so impressed with all the Bible studies she was involved with and worship she was involved with and how she was going about her interpersonal relationships inside prison. And as I got to know her, I was just nothing but impressed with her nobility, her kindness, and her desire to, you know, to just really impact. He knows your name and the work that I'm doing. So she could you know, just help a mom in crisis in any way she could by lending her voice to the work that I do. Um, and I had no idea that, uh, you know, that season of just writing back and forth would create just kind of an intimacy and relationship and a friendship that was built between us. Mm, that's really beautiful. So Michaela, when you talked about just your initial experience of this, you said, you know, that you were dissociating and surviving in that space of pain. And after being sentenced and you were not available to grieve your son or not in a way that would be public or connected to the funeral. Would you like to take us back in your story to 
what led to the pregnancy. And, you know, you said you have a heart for women in crisis, what that was like to be in that crisis space. Yes. Um, I was always the person everybody went to um, for advice, for help. I would give the shirt off my back if I could. And then something happened to me. It was a sexual assault and it just spiraled out of control for me. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't know who I could say it to. And I felt dirty. I felt like trash, basically, um, because this was done to me. And I didn't know to the extent of how bad it was until I was already down at the bottom of the barrel, so to speak. I started distancing myself from people. I started drinking a lot. I was angry. I was angry at my teammates, angry at my coworkers. And I just was distancing and no one really knew or noticed because life gets busy for everybody. And by the time I realized that my life was out of control, I was at my rock bottom. I was, when I first got arrested, I was placed in a suicide cell. Now suicide cell is this padded cell and you get this like green dress and this green blanket that go with it. And there's nothing else in the cell with you. Yeah. So you can't hurt yourself with your clothing. Correct. And uh, the officer gave me my paperwork, which they weren't supposed to, but they gave me my paperwork and I was reading through my paperwork and I didn't recognize this person that was in the paperwork that was laughing at what she was doing, that did all these things, did all these internet searches, and I didn't recognize her. And I remember just throwing the papers down and saying, God, I don't know who this person is. I know that she did wrong, and I know that I have to pay for what I did, but I I don't know who this person is, and I don't want to be her. Help me, because you have to be real. So many people in my life at that point were believing in God. I knew he was real, but I didn't have that authentic relationship with him yet. And I remember I threw the papers down and I looked up in the light because the light's on 24-7 and there's a cross etched out in the light. And I was like, okay, you're, <laughs> you're here somewhere. Where are you? And that was the first time I fell asleep and I felt like somebody was holding me, like protecting me and letting me know that everything was okay. There was that peace that surpasses all understanding just happened in that moment for me. I think it's so beautiful to hear when people get to experience the presence of God smack in the middle of the valley when you've been sucked into the undertow of pain and you feel like you're drowning and yet somehow he's there with us. It's beautiful to hear that. Can I clarify some details for the listeners? Was your pregnancy a result of the sexual assault? Um, no. Okay, so this was a separate experience that led you into crisis. Okay. And how old were you at this time? 21. Okay. And so um, do you remember having your baby? Do you do you have memory of that? Or is that um, dissociated in your mind? You said it's kind of hazy. I have like bits and pieces. Um, I didn't really know a whole lot of what happened until I got my discovery, which is everybody's dispositions of that night and probably weeks before it. And I didn't realize it. I was at that point in my addiction to alcohol and to pain pills at that point 
that if you asked me when I was sober, I'd tell you that I was. And then when I was too busy numbing my pain, so to speak, I wouldn't answer you. I hid it from my family. I hid it from my friends. I, I hid it from everybody. I was, it was the shame. It was the shame and the, the guilt and the fear that led me down the path and the things that I was choosing. It wasn't the right path at all. Um, I was scared. I didn't really know who to turn to or who I could trust because I was afraid. Nobody wants to be looked at or felt like they're not loved or they're not valued or they're not wanted. And that's how I felt. I felt unwanted. I felt like nobody else could possibly understand this feeling. And come to find out when I went to prison, a lot of women have gone through similar circumstances or some are even more severe than mine. And they have felt like that, but they were like me. They were afraid and shame and guilt and just ate at them. And it wasn't until COVID shut everything down and I had the time to think about what I, what I'd done and to forgive my, not only myself for what I did, but also to forgive other people for what they've done to me. What I learned is that when we're hurting, we hurt people, whether it's intentional or not. And I learned that I had to start forgiving people in order to become better. If not, I was going to be bitter. And I didn't want to be bitter anymore. Being bitter wasn't helping me. It was making my time hard. It was making my inner prison that I, am, that I was stuck in that much more concrete. And I didn't want to be stuck in that inner prison, the prison that you can't see. The ones that people, the battles that people are fighting that you can't see are often the hardest for us to understand. And I wanted to be free. And so I started writing letters to people and telling them how sorry I was for what I did. But I also wrote a letter to my son. Unfortunately, obviously, I never gave it to him, but that freed me of a lot. I know that I can't bring my son back, and I would if I could. But in order for me to move forward, I want to help another person that might be in a similar situation than me. I don't want them to have the same results that I did. I want them to be better than what I am. And that, it, that often means asking for help and voicing that you are struggling. And it's okay to not be okay. I have not met one person that has everything put together in a nice little gift basket to give to you. I've, it's all right to struggle. That's why we have God. God will come in and love you when you think nobody else will. When you're stuck and you can't move, he will move mountains for you. He will come at you with your in your darkest moment and say, you have to trust me. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know it hurts now, but in the end, there's going to be something bigger and better planned for you. You just have to trust me. And I love you. I mean, he loves you so much. Jesus died on the cross for you, for me, for everybody. Even if I was the only person who sinned, Jesus still died and took my place. And once I finally understood that, ooh, I was just like, let's, let's do this. Let's go tell somebody else. Let's go help this person. Let's do this. I may not be able to fix 
my problems, but that's not my job. That's his. My job is to go out and to make disciples, to love you, even if you're hurting, even if you do this, because I once used to be there and I understand. Now, am I perfect? No. But I also know that my my consequent my actions have consequences. And I'm a little I'm still trying to fix my actions and consequences to line up with God. But the more that I spent time with him, the more that I got to know him, the better off things started working. Mm, I love how he pursued you, how he came for you in that darkness and in your loss and in your heartache. And I know that in my story, I just see how he was relentless in um, places where I had so much pain and trauma. And I look back and I'm like, Lord, there's really no reason that I'm standing here with you today, glorifying you in a relationship with you, honoring your name in front of other people in public places, except that you came for me and that you fought for my heart and you spoke into all of the pain and the lies and the things that I believed about myself and that prison of shame. Shame is such a powerful motivator of secrecy and avoidance and hiding, right? To um, get rid of the evidence, you know, like what can I do to protect myself from this idea that I am a bad person, that I am unlovable, that I am unworthy. And I just hear that same resonance in your story of a God who was relentless in pursuing you and coming for you in darkness when probably I would guess no one else could reach you and just the way that you were isolated in that space. I was isolated in that space for quite some time. And it was, suicide cell is not the easiest place to be. It is the most lonely, most desolated place that you could. But I don't think he could have been any louder any other place. I was too busy, quote unquote, too caught up in what was going on around me instead of taking a time out that I needed to actually listen to his voice. His voice is still and small and quiet. It's not the fire. It's not the wind, but it's way behind that. And I couldn't get my mind to wrap around it. And the farther, the more questions I dove into the Bible, I read the message Bible from cover to cover. And the more that I got to know him and understand him, there's no way that I would have ever pictured God following my path this way. I mean, I made jokes that I, if I ever went to prison, just kidding, you know, like what it would be like. And I ended up going and I, ended up having this deep rooted faith that I don't think would have existed any other way. So in an essence, my son saved me. I may not have been making the best decisions and the best choices and being the best parent that I could have been, but he saved me from going down the path that I was and from continuing to make the same mistakes. Mm, that's a beautiful paradox. Yeah. It is. It sounds a lot like God, doesn't it? Like First John 1, 3, or 3, 1, that says, How great is the love of the Father that he has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. 
you know, and it's like not until we have that moment where we look at ourselves in the mirror and we get still before him that we can find out who we are in him and whose we are. And, you know, your story, Michaela, is just such a beautiful example. Like as you share, I just hearing verse after verse come off the, like out of my mind of like the scriptures I've read where, you know, God used a son to save us, right? Like (laughs) it's incredible. And he sacrificed his own son to save the world. And there's just a lot in this. And I'm not saying, it's just an interesting way that we, we can say only God, right? Like only God could take these circumstances and make something beautiful out of them. And it's really powerful to hear. I agree. And I've heard it before. I know. I know. (laughs) I can tell it's one of those stories that just resonates, just continues to exude power and transformation. Linda, I just, I kind of have this mental picture of, you know, a sentence within a parenthesis, right? And on the left, I see you, Linda, the left parenthesis. And on the right, I see Michaela and these two lives, right? Like intersecting around this common story. And in your bio, it talks about your heart for children to be recognized and to be buried with a name and to be honored in that place. Where did your heart for that ministry come from? I don't know. I mean, honestly, it came from the Lord. Um, I don't have infant or pregnancy loss or abortive loss. And I know so many people's stories, birth ministries and birth a testimony. And, you know, my small yes to God, when he revealed this story that was on the news that day about the baby in the dumpster, what I felt more than anything was like, I need answers. Like, how did this, what happens to a baby like this? And it wasn't until I called the coroner's office and I I asked the question and they didn't have an answer for me. And they said, you know, the baby will just be put in a pauper's grave, like unnamed, no headstone, you know, and I was just like, wait a second, we live in America, the most resourced country in the world. How can this still be a thing? Like, don't you think paupers sounds like something from like some old movie you watched, you know? And so I just said, I have to claim this baby. I have to give this baby a name because dough is not a name. A diaper is not burial clothing and a dumpster is not a grave. So that became really my mission. And it wasn't until I called the coroner's office and asked my questions that I saw the injustice. And from seeing and hearing the injustice, I knew that now I feel responsible. Like now that I know what I know, I can't just leave this like written in my journal and close it and walk away. And that is somewhat of how I guess I felt about Michaela, you know, talking with her and hearing her story and her heart for, you know, helping other moms and other people in crisis. I was like, my goodness, I want to like lean into her and help stir her faith for more. I want to help her live on mission and with purpose because that's all I heard from her that whole year in writing an email was just the purpose I heard in her. And then I started hearing calling come up in her. And I get that because that has all been stirred in me. And it's been a joy to help open that door for her and with her to tell more story because it resonates with my heart for living on mission. And like, she's writing her legacy still, like her legacy and story is not contained to what happened in that dorm room. 
It is now too. And I don't think people realize that they're writing their legacy in their obituary every day. That's good. That's powerful. Okay, ladies, this is amazing. And I'm going to push pause and continue this interview with you for part two next week. Ladies, would you please join me for another episode sharing your story on the Hopecast? I mean, I can. Sure. (laughs) Awesome. Michaela, how can people connect with you to learn more about you or hear your story? Or I know you have a heart for women who've experienced what you did. You can contact me on Facebook. You can message me that way. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me at this point. Okay. Yeah. And Next how about Steps you, Linda? for Michaela is a website. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So I have a website, he knows your name.org, and um, I can be reached through that. I can also be reached on any social media platform in comments or direct messaging. Um, I would love for people to sign up for my newsletter that goes out every month because I talk about current happenings and I talk about what the last month looked like. I want people to see what I'm doing every day because I believe showing up matters. And I want to just like always leave the example that showing up is the way we show up, right? We show up in our faith. We show up to listen to people and stand at the grave with them because the grave is over any loss. There's loss everywhere. And standing with people and giving them the gift of presence is the greatest gift I can give them. And um, I love also when people get into my newsletter, they can hear about what's coming up. And then I invite them into showing up as well. Absolutely. I hear your, your mentoring heart, the nurture within you, even as you protect. Everybody, this has been the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. Would you rate, review, and subscribe if this episode touched you um, and you know someone that would benefit from um, Michaela and Linda's story? Would you share it with them to pass on the message of hope? And you can reach me at contact at rachelflick.com. And please join us next week for part two of my interview with Michaela and Linda on the Hopecast with Rachel Flick. You've been listening to The Hopecast with Rachel Flick. To find out more, go to rachelflick.com. While you are there, you can book Rachel for your next speaking engagement. Her inspiring message will be sure to engage and touch the heart of your audience at your next conference, church event, or business function. Go to rachelflick.com to book her today. While you're online, you can discover more information about all of the platforms that this podcast is on. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave us a review. To follow Rachel on social media, simply click on the social media icons at the top of the page and you will be directed to those sites. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Thanks for joining us and we will see you next time for another edition of the Hopecast with Rachel Flick.